In the late 1860s, Tamihana Taropraha, the son of Taropraha, the legendary Ngāti Tor chief, wrote a 50,000-word account of his father's life. The original manuscript is held in the Sir George Grey Special Collection, part of the Heritage Collection at Tamaki Pātaka Kōrero, Auckland Library. Kia ora, I'm Honui Royal, and I talked recently to Ross Kalman, who has released a new, and as it appears, a much needed translation of this biography. Ross Kalman, who's of Ngāti Tō, Ngāti Raukawaki Tonga, and Ngaitahu descent, is a Wellington-based writer, editor, and translator, and he's also a descendant of the great chief himself. I started off by asking Ross how he first became aware of this manuscript. It was when I was a student at the University of Canterbury, and this would have been about, I was looking back, back at some old diaries, I think it was about 1993, um, when I first came across a copy of the original manuscript. Um, as you know, the manuscript itself is in the collection at um, Tāmaki Pātaka Kōrero in the uh, Sir George Grey Special Collections there. Um, but I think in the 1970s, um, all the New Zealand universities um, received um, bound copies of the of the Grey Collection. So, yeah, when I was um, at, at the library um, uh, down in Christchurch, I I was just actually literally just looking on the shelves. Um, um, it's just one of those big old libraries there where where you could just you know I used to just like wandering and looking at the books, um, and I saw. The, these these manuscripts and I was just casting my eye down them to see if there were any that you know kind of um, related to me in any way and I I saw one that had um, uh, Life of Taroparaha, uh, Tamihana Taroparaha down it down the spine and I just thought wow so I picked, picked that up um, so I probably would have learnt that I was a descendant of Taroparaha probably just within the maybe within the previous 12 months or something so I was um, kind of searching for information about my ancestor. Um, took that down off the shelf and opened it up and discovered page after page in beautiful handwriting all in te reo Māori and um, it was a language I didn't know much of at the time. I had only just um, done a basic Māori language paper at university at the, at the time so I was absolutely intrigued uh, and fascinated um, to see this text and, and I just thought to myself, wow, this is written by my, my ancestor's son, um, someone who knew him, someone who was actually at some of these events, and also had that insight into the traditional Māori worldview that a lot of um, writers who've come afterwards who have written about Te Rauparaha um, wouldn't have. Um, so, yeah, that, that's when I first came across it. That's, that's nearly 30 years ago now. But I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, wouldn't it be great to, to firstly um, learn enough um, te reo Māori to, to understand what this says, firstly. And then I'd, I was also th thinking, even back then, wow, wouldn't it be great to, to publish this as a book? Um, yeah, so um, it's kind of been an ambition that's taken up nearly my whole adult life to, to um, publish this book. Many readers of New Zealand history may be familiar with a previous version of the manuscript that was published in 1980 by Alistair Taylor and edited by Peter Butler. I asked Ross about these previous versions and how he viewed them. There's been um, a few attempts to inter interpret this manuscript over the ensuing um, you know, 150 years since Tommy Hunter wrote it. So um, firstly we had WTL Travers um, put out 
a book uh, like a biography of Taraparaha that referred to Tamihana's manuscript that was in 1872. Then we had John White in, in 1890 put out a, um, in, in his ancient history of the Māori, put out a text that purported to be by Tamihana and purported to be a summary of the manuscript. But in fact, investigation reveals that it was really a confection of White's own making, that text, and it's been really injurious to Tamihana's reputation that it was published under his name because other people have come along and looked at that text and, and said, well, Tamihana didn't know what he was on about. Um, so, for example, Percy Smith came along in 1910 and multiple times in a book he wrote about the... Um, the history of West Coast Māori um, up until 1840, he takes multiple pot shots at Tamihana basically saying he didn't know what he was on about and that all the information he has from, from the old men involved in these scenes um, completely contradicts Tamihana. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's been, um, you know, one, one thing about Tamihana is that he didn't have any descendants and so there was no one to really speak up for him um, and to, to sort of defend his honour. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then as you allude to, in 1918 there was a translation undertaken by George Graham um, and that was also fraught with a lot of issues because um, George Graham worked from a, a typed transcript of the original manuscript that was full of errors and so the actual translation is like, um, it's like almost like, a, almost like he's guessed his way through. That That's what it kind of reads like to us now but but if you know that he was working off a poor copy um you 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 can kind of understand why there's so many errors in that translation but but that george graham one is the one that most people have referred to um ever since and including yeah that 1980 edition that was put out by alistair taylor i uh, had the horrible caricature of the maori chief on the cover and um had had yeah cut down edited version of Graham's translation and a lot of photographs and um, yeah it's funny Pitipi Walker, my my friend who also a collaborator on this project, wrote a review of that book in the Victoria University student newspaper at the time, and um, said that the photographs were the only thing worth worthwhile of the book, that the actual text um, yeah the text was just a real um, terrible um, cut and paste job yeah. Did you read those other texts, so like the 1980 version, the, the Taylor version and the, the Graham? Did you read it before or did you ignore them and just start afresh? What was your approach? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, Because I was aware of all those other texts and I had read them at various times over the years. But um, quite early on with the George Graham one, I realised that if I, if I looked at it too closely, it would influence my own translation. Um, and that it was better for me to start afresh and to put that to one side and to see what I came up with independently. Um, so yeah, I that was the process I followed. After I'd completed my translation, I did actually go back to Graham because I was interested to see how far mine diverged from what Graham came up with. And um, yeah, the, in the odd place actually, George Graham did offer some insights and I did end up adjusting my translation in a few places, but in general, um, uh, you know, if you put the two side by side, um, they're, they're very different stories. And, and, in, and in places, what my translation is, is actually the exact opposite of what Graham translated for various reasons, partly to do with the old um, grammar of the 19th century. Um, it's often grammar that um, 
constructions that um, we're not aware of, and even by George Graham's time, um, that Māori language had changed. Yeah. I'm interested in, in, in the translation and your work in that. Tell us about your approach, because there are some difficulties, aren't they, translating 19th century te reo, uh, quite a different language perhaps than the you know 21st century totafiti mandated idioms of today and speakers. Tell us about some of the challenges you faced in translating as authentically as possible to capture the, you know, the real essence of the manuscript. Yeah. Um, when I first came, you know, came to look at the manuscript, if you have a 20, 21st century take on it, you'll, you'll often take the wrong meaning out of sentences that you think you know the meaning of because just, just different words, the, 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 the meanings of different words has changed um, over time. And, and so it's a real trap because you, you read something and you think you know what it means. And, but if you actually pick up the Williams Dictionary, that, that's the amazing resource really that, that's been at my side the whole time. If you pick up Williams and look up some of these words you think you know the meaning of and, and we're talking about, could be um, very, very simple words. Um, you'll actually find Williams will give some other meanings that you know are not really in currency anymore. And it's often those old meanings that is what, what Tummy Hunter actually intends. Similarly with the grammatical structures, um, yeah, there's just grammar, that the way they used to put things, it's, it's just like if you read a piece of um, 19th century English, if you pick up Charles Dickens and you look at the way Dickens um, would write his sentences in English, um, it uses the whole thing like word order and stuff is all mixed up with how you would write it today. It's kind of a little bit like that. Having said that, you know, that the 19th century um, Māori language does have a, a real crispness and um, a really elegant language. And um, I really, you know, I really think that the having the two languages in my book side by side is, is, is really awesome because I think, the, you know, the, the, the Māori language um, text is, um, is just is the text and the, the English, as I say, I mean, I'm trying to do as, as the best job I can um, to represent it, but um, I still, you know, you, you can't quite capture that. Um, it's just a real beauty of, of the of the Māori language and the way it can express quite complex things quite succinctly. Um, and also, of course, you've got things like metaphor and um, allusions to historical and mythological um, uh, people and events, um, things like that, that with a translation, it's always really difficult to try and capture that. And you sort of, sometimes I might um, capture the try and capture the flavour and then put a footnote to say that the actual Māori is saying this literally, just to give people the sense of what it, what it is. Um, yeah, so I kind of, yeah, if you're a Māori speaker, you'll get more out of this book than if you're just an, an English um, speaker. But I, yeah, I, I, I do hope still that for, if you're just an English um, reader, um, that you'll, you know, you'll still, there's hopefully plenty of interest there for you. But um, yeah, what, what the Te Reo Māori um, for me is the definitive um, text. And it's obviously the text that Tamihana actually wrote. <laughs> yeah. How do you think Tamihana's account of his own father's life you know, compares to the other biographies we have. I mean, I'm the probably most famous Patricia Burns is particularly. Does he lionise his father, or, or do you think it's a more balanced account of, um, you know, let's admit, a, a rather controversial figure at times? Interesting point. I mean, um, I was speaking with Machu Ray the other day, and he was saying that um, 
that considering that this is a book written by a, a son about his father, he does a really good job. Um, he, yeah, he, and, uh, yeah, he was saying that um, that he does a better job than a lot of us would have if we were writing about our own parents. And I think Tami Hanna does take a step back and distance himself from the material, and, he, and it probably helped his cause that um, it was written about 20 years after Taroparaha's death, so there had been um, some distance in, in time. Having said that, like I, I don't think any single account is going to capture, is going to be the, the final word, but I think that it's a really great um, counterweight to those other accounts that are already out there. Like, so yeah, you mentioned the Patricia Burns biography, and more recently there was a Henny Collins one as well. If you, if you take this on the other, if you read those ones, but then you read this one too, if you take those together, you might get quite a good picture. Um, because Tami Hanna, he doesn't really go into some areas that you'd, if you were a modern biographer, you would be quite interested in people's, for example, their relationships. Um, their relationships and, and, um, and their in the children that might come of those relationships, for example. Well, for Tami Hanna, there's not that much about um, Taroparaha's wives, for example. We know that he had multiple wives. Um, so in terms of Tami Hanna's account, all, he, he mentions Marori, who's his first, his first wife, and then he mentions his own mother, Tiako. Um, but apart from that, he doesn't go into any other relationships. Um, Oh, actually, actually, when he's a young man, he does mention how he lost out over a woman to his older brother, which is quite an interesting little um, anecdote um, in there as well. But yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's just an example of something that if you're running um, a biography in 2020, you're going to be putting in all that sort of detail, I guess. Um, yeah, so I guess it's kind of like it may be, it's not going to answer all your questions, um, but as I say, it does kind of, the, the thing for me about it is that it's, uh, under, uh, Tami Hanna as the writer understands that whole Māori worldview, the world of utu, um, which I kind of translate as reciprocity, I guess, in terms of um, not just about um, kind of um, seeking revenge if you were slighted, but also about um, returning hospitality as well and maintaining that balance between um, different groups. Uh, yeah, it's funny because yeah, some of my friends have kind of said, oh, this is the definitive version, isn't it? And I'm kind of saying, well, you know, it's not, it's not the definitive version, but I think it really adds a lot to our understanding of Te Rauparaha um, by, by being out there. And that, yeah, that's what I'm hoping will, will happen. Yeah. Working on this manuscript, what sort of conclusions could you make about the, his character and, and the sort of man that Tamihana Tarotpraha was? Yeah, I mean, I've had quite a lot of time to reflect on Tamihana's life, and he obviously had a very different life um, to his father. So his father was only really in the later part of his life, in his old, later years, that he really came into contact with the European world. And obviously in the last few years, um, the early days of New Zealand as a colony. Um, and it's almost like most accounts we have of Taroparaha come from those last few years of his life, um, you know, after the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, whereas, um, yeah, Tamihana um, was born during Ngāti Tor's migration from Kāwhia to Kapiti, so he never really had a sort of stable environment. 
Um, so when he was only five years old, he started would have started coming into contact with Europeans um, via the whalers that were visiting Kapiti Island. Then you'd get the flax traders and others. And he was only about 16 when he converted to Christianity and 18 when he signed the Treaty of Waitangi. So you kind of, yeah, he kind of didn't, those formative years were times of flux for his people, times of change, kind of, you know, the cultural ground was shifting. Um, he obviously um, embraced Christianity, also literacy and also European technology and, and customs and manners. So you can kind of understand why, you know, he, he'd also witnessed the musket wars firsthand. So you can understand the attraction of um, Christianity and um, an end to intertribal warfare the attraction for him and um and then yeah later on in his life he 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 was very kind of um close to a lot of government officials and quite you know what you might call a kupapa I guess these days um but I think it's a bit of an oversimplification just to mm-hmm. to say that and to write write our ancestors off who took that path because I think it's still a fine line you know it's still a thing that we tread or have to deal with these days which is basically how we interact with the western world which is such a monolithic presence in our lives and ever you know it's everywhere we go we're um we're exposed to the west um and we also want to, you know we value and want to retain our maori identity and maori culture and our language and all these things but it's a it's a real balancing act because we also have to live in this modern world and so i've kind of feel that in many ways tummy hunter was really grappling it's like the first generation to grapple with all these issues that we're actually still trying to resolve so you know i i i don't think we should be too quick to judge the path that he took because i think you know if we put ourselves into his shoes we might well have made some similar decisions back then so yeah yeah I quite agree with you, Ross. I think it's a real mistake for people to read about history from a 21st century perspective and judge people accordingly. I think you just got to understand what motivates people. But he's interesting, isn't he? His bio states that, you know, he lived in a European-styled home. He was quite wealthy. And here's the fact that I was very, you know, he had European servants. And I think a lot of people would be very surprised that a Māori, that a rangatira of what eighteen of the 1860s could have employed Europeans in his own household. Do you think his adoption of European ways and perhaps his conversion to Christianity, would that have set him at odds slightly with his father, given his um, the role that he played within Ngāti Tō? Yeah, it's just it's just on that thing about European servants. My 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 friend Parapi tells me that that's um, bordering on an urban myth, perhaps. <laughs> um, that um, that it might it might not be true. He he definitely he def. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. He definitely kept servants through until the eighteen sixties that he had acquired in the pre treaty days so even though he was a a christian he he believed in in class um differences and so yeah some people that had been acquired as servants slash slaves in the pre-1840 era continued to have a like a subservient relationship right through until even the 1860s I asked Ross whether Tommy Hunter's adoption of European ways and customs and particularly his conversion to Christianity had set him at odds with his father 
who would be fair to say had an uneasy relationship with Europeans generally. I, I think a lot of our ancestors adopted Christianity, but they didn't they didn't throw away what they had before. I think that they sort of they could see um, they they sort of existed side by side. And I think Tero Paraha in later life was very interested in Christianity and, and went to church services and um, spoke at length with um, Octavius Hadfield about Christianity. And yeah, well, he was very interested in it. Um, he he was not baptised and um, Tommy Hunter actually sent for Hadfield and asked him to baptise his father before he died, but Hadfield um, refused. And so we, we don't quite know. <clears throat> this full story behind that, but um, yeah. So, uh, just sorry, I was I, I was just meaning to say that Rangi Hayata was a um, a very skilled tohunga, and 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 in the manuscript, um, Tami Hana describes how he had forebodings when things had gone wrong or were about to go wrong. He would have, for example, um, in his sleep, he would be. Um, you know, have an uncontrollable twitching on, on of his arm and, and he'd wake up and that would be, and he would be able to read things into that. And Tamihana in the manuscript, it's interesting, he's a Christian, but he has respect for these traditional practices. And he doesn't, you know, as you might expect, he might sort of um, not mention them or, or write them off, but he doesn't actually. He, he actually um, pays respect to them. So, um, yeah, I think, that's, that's one thing that I think that's a great thing about the manuscript is that Tummy Hunter kind of doesn't load his prejudices or whatever in, into it too much. I think he really is trying to be a faithful recorder of, of the events as they happened. Yeah. Cool, Ross. I sort of come to the end really about his legacy today. Um, now, I'm, you know, you've, you've got Naitahu uh, links. Um, your wife is of Ngaitahu descent, a very well-known Ngaitahu family. Um, and Ngaitahu, you know, particularly in the South, Taropraha's reputation, uh, you know, at times has probably been troubling, to be fair. Um, what do you think his, how would you describe his legacy now, given we know more about the person, given the research for people like yourselves have contributed to a literature around uh, Ngāti to Ngāti Raukawa's, um, uh, the early part of the 19th century. How do you think he's viewed now, fundamentally? Yeah, I mean, it's funny with, you know, the popular view of history, it's um, often lags behind um, kind of current research. And people um, also, too, I think, yeah, a lot of people down south um, almost want, don't, wouldn't want to let go of a of seeing Te Rauparaha as being a real bugbear sort of, um, sort of, a villain kind of figure because he's quite almost important to their identity down there. Yeah, so I I guess being Ngaitahu as well as Ngati Toa, I I kind of see both sides of the argument. And I guess I guess what you know one of the things I want with the, putting this quarter out there is um, just us having um, access to different views on our history and just knowing a bit more about what happened and why, also really importantly for me, why they happened. Like, for example, all these um, battles and war parties and so on, and in Tummy Hunter's manuscript, he always talks about the tucky, like, what, why, why was a war party, why did a war party go down to Akaroa, for example? 
Um, and there's, there's um, explanations using the traditional, you know, Māori thinking. And it was a, a kind of philosophy that Ngaitahu of that era would have also um, understood. Um, yeah, and I, and I think too, we've kind of forgotten, well people down south maybe, <laughs> have forgotten there were peace marriages arranged um, in the intervening times. And um, I think, you know, these, t- these days we, we're very quick to define ourselves in our various groups, but in fact, you know, Papa connects us all. And, um, I'd, you know, I think I'd like to see that those connections, those Papa connections more accentuated um, rather than, um, than our differences highlighted. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny, I've, I've been joking with Ariana, my, my wife, who, as you mentioned, is Ngaita, who I've um, been joking that I'll, I don't think I'll be, get invited down to the South Island to talk about this Kopapa, but it's actually, it's, it's funny because a, a friend of mine has, has already reached out to me and said that he's, um, he, he's thinking of inviting me down to speak at an event in Christchurch. So, <laughs> so you know, I'm actually, I, I actually think it would be really great to have, have an event down there and to, to, to get some of this quartered all out there. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, you know, that's my whole approach to history really is that it's, it's better to know, kind of be informed about what happened and, and, to, and to have debates about what it means for us today and, and to have those out there rather than just for everyone just to be walking around with these sort of things in their head um, that, that actually can cause kind of grief and, and um, unhappiness to people over, over generations. So yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a big, heavy kind of um, um, topic, um, I guess. But um, yeah, um, I, I think ultimately, well, I'm hope, hoping ultimately it's better to have books like mine out there rather rather than not. Well, Kilda, we're very uh, looking forward to you talking further about the Kopapa on uh, February the 3rd at the Fuddy at Central Library, uh, 2021. So just before Waitangi Day, really looking forward to that, Ross. Um, and future projects for you? What's What's on the horizon? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am having a bit of a rest and I'm also just trying to clear the backlog. I've, I've got, had all this work that I've had to put to one side while I finish the book off and uh, organise the launch and stuff. So I think that's going to see me fairly busy for the next few months. But um, I'm, I'm actually, um, would like to do a bit of creative writing around a similar theme. Um, yeah, making use of some of this research um, and all these um, sort of random facts that are in my head. So um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. 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 Well, kia ora, Ross, and thank you again. I mean, adding what you've done is helping. You know, the tong is sitting inside the heritage collections there, and it, it's certainly knowledge like representing and uh, in this manner really helps um, us grow our own understanding of New Zealand's history. And also, he whakamana nei ngā tuinga, kei roto i tau wahi, nō reira e hoa, e tawhanaunga tēnā koe, uh, kia ora, Ross. Thank you for speaking to us today. We invite you to visit the Heritage Collections Reading Room on Level 2 of Tamaki Pataka Korero, the Central City Library, to view items on display in the Korotuturu Real Gold Case or to request to view other items discoverable on the Kura Heritage Collections database.